Well, it's Christmas time. <laughs> that always sneaks up on me here in Bonaire. Where I'm from, we have all these clues in the weather. And uh, football season starts. And then you have Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving was last Thursday. I think it's... Uh, I, I want to suggest to you that we start a movement here in Bonaire. I'm, I'm not going to work real hard on this, but I, I want to suggest it to everybody. Because I've noticed here in Bonaire, we do have Black Friday. <laughs> but do you know why Black Friday exists? I'm going to tell you why Black Friday exists. Because in the United States, we have Thanksgiving, a national holiday in which we're supposed to all recognize God's gifts. Now it's really popular to just be thankful without thanking anyone in particular. I'm not going for that. When I have Thanksgiving, I want to remember who I'm thanking, who gave me all, this great, all these great blessings. There's someone to thank. Well, anyway, I'm getting distracted now because I was talking about good Black Friday. We have Black Friday because in the U.S. we have Thanksgiving, and because Thanksgiving, for some reason not known to me, always falls on a Thursday... They let all the children out of school on Thursday and Friday. And because in the United States we're all incurable consumers, we have to get ready for Christmas. And generally speaking, in the United States, that means we have to buy a bunch of gifts we can't afford for people. And since all the children are out of school on that Friday, the great merchants of the United States figured out, well, let's have a great day of buying stuff on Friday. So the, the retailers all started having sales on that day. And in the beginning, it wasn't called Black Friday. It was just, you know, you kind of expected on that day the newspaper would be... It's, I, I used to deliver newspapers, and the newspaper on that day was about this thick, full of advertising of these sales. <clears throat> and then it came to be called Black Friday because it kind of got black in this sense. The sales would begin, and at the door of the Walmart or whatever store, people would line up to get these deals. And then when the store opened, they'd run in and you'd see these on news reports on TV, you know, people with black eyes from fighting over these deals. The day after Thanksgiving. So, my proposal, I really didn't mean to talk this long about this, but 
My proposal is here in Bonaire, since we have Black Friday, what if we had Thanksgiving? What if, uh, you know, we remembered before we went out to get all those great deals, what if we remembered the one who gives us every good and perfect gift? Uh, and that's, that's God. What if we remembered to be thankful? When you come into the season of Advent, then, what does that mean, Advent? Well, that word Advent means the arrival of something. And the season of Advent in the history of the church is the season in which we remember the anticipation of the arrival of God with us, Emmanuel. So we sang this morning, O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us. I remember when I was a child, I do still remember that. When I was a child, here's the thing I really loved about Christmas. On Christmas, when you woke up on Christmas morning, and as a child you woke up very early on Christmas morning in order to run into the living room where the Christmas tree was and find all the gifts. Advent is the excited hopefulness of receiving gifts. And, of course, we're talking about not just gifts, you know, not the stuff we buy for each other, but the gift of the Lord Jesus. The very eternal Son of God, the second person of the triune God, became one of us, God with us. And when we say with in this case, we really mean with. Think of it. The very Son of God lets go of equality with God, we're, we're told in the Scriptures, and is born like you were. Though chances are the circumstances of his birth are somewhat more lowly than the circumstances of your birth. Not many of us were born in a shed. Well, really a barn with a makeshift crib made out of a feed box. But when we talk about Advent, we're talking about hope. Hope. Hope is Faith looking to the future. It's what's, 
what's that good thing that is about to happen? And so we're entering into this season, and in the life of the church, we want to enter into the season of excited hopefulness, of the anticipation of the incarnation. We want to try to put ourselves in that song. Rejoice, rejoice, O Israel. <laughs> he is coming. And so the season, the Christmas season, which you know begins on this first of four Sundays leading up to Christmas, is an act of imagination. of remembering the anticipation of Messiah. Oh, but it's also this. It's our actual situation. You might remember that last Sunday we talked about how one of the ministries of the Spirit would be to communicate to the apostles and to the church through the apostles to communicate things to come. And here we are between the Advent and the Advent. You know, one of the most famous Christmas songs, in English at least, is the song, Joy to the World. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. May earth receive her king. I don't know if you know this, but that song is not about Advent number one. It's about Advent number two. The second coming. And here we are anticipating the arrival of the incarnation of Jesus Christ in the first place and anticipating the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ in the second place. Hope. Joyful hopefulness. And so, I wanted to look at this passage of Scripture in the book of 1 John that actually has both Advents. Let me get to it. 1 John chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you should open it up and read along with me. Here's what it says. 1 John chapter 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so, we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. I don't know about you, but does that sound like what we've been reading in the book of John where Jesus says, look, if the world hates you, don't be surprised. They hated me first. They don't know Him. They don't know you. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes 
in him purifies himself as he is pure. Behold. That's actually a commandment. Behold. Okay, stop and look. Stop and gaze. Gaze upon the sort of love God the Father has given to you, to us. This expression, you know, what manner or what type of love, that expression, what manner, really is always used to think, to, to stop and think about how great something is. He's saying, think how amazing it is, this love the Father has given to us. I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of John's self-identification in the Gospel of John, where he talks about himself as the one Jesus loved. I want that heart of John that can't get over the love of God in Christ. That can't move past how amazing that is. To be astonished by the love of God. Stop. Evaluate. Look into this. What kind of love is this? What kind of love is this? The eternal Son of God was born in a barn. No one welcomed Him. And then the Scripture says, as finding Himself one of us, He humbled Himself among us. And He continued to humble Himself and humble Himself and humble Himself. The Scripture says, Philippians chapter 2, even to the point of death and the death of the cross. Think of the love. God demonstrates His love toward us in that while we were still sinners, still enemies of God, Christ died for us. Astonishing that we should be called children of God. Astonishing. You know, he even says, and so we are. It's like he says, think of this love that we should be called children of God. And we are. Really. No, really. That's who we are. And he says it again. Beloved, we are God's children. Astonishing. You know, he has this little interjection about the world in here. He says the world doesn't know us. The reason is they didn't know Him. 
Here's something I've noticed about the people Jesus was dealing with that He calls the world you know, that's going to hate His disciples in, in John chapter 16. Here's something I've noticed about the world. They assume the love of God. They are not astonished by the love of God. They're entitled to be called God's children. It doesn't surprise them that they're God's children. They're not like John. John who's going, I'm the one he loved. Me. John is astonished by the love of God in Christ. John is astonished by the fact that he should be called a child of God. The world takes it for granted. They assume God is like, well, of course He loves me. And John is saying, no, stop, stop, behold. It's a bigger deal than you think. It's actually quite astonishing that you should be called a child of God. That you should experience this love of God. He says that's why the world doesn't recognize us. They didn't recognize Him. Here's a practical suggestion. Give up on getting the world to recognize us. It's not going to happen. Just show them this love. Our relationship with the world is kind of a one-way thing. We're called to love our enemies. We're called to love those who persecute us. We're called because that's what Jesus did to us. It's astonishing. We should demonstrate this astonishing love and forget about whether anyone you know, gives us credit. Well, that would be enough already. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us, but there's more. He says, uh, we're already children of God. Already children of God. And the, the word has given, the love the Father has given, is in what we call the perfect tense. <laughs> and that is the tense of something that is done and done. Something that is, has been done that permanently has permanently changed the nature of everything. Like, so, He has given us this love. And so, since He has given it to us, we have this love, this love that names us children of God, a status that cannot be revoked. It is accomplished and accomplished. As Jesus said, it is finished. He says, we're already children of God, and what we will be hasn't yet appeared. But, here's what we know. He says, we do know this. When He appears, when He appears, so we have Christmas and the second coming right here in these two verses. And we have the joyful anticipation of the first coming of the Son of God in the person of Jesus. 
And we have now, today, we have the hope of the second coming, the sure hope. When He appears, He will appear. He will return. We are reading about this right there in John chapter 16. He says, in a little while you won't see Me, then you will see Me. And He's talking about His death and His resurrection, and He's talking about His ascension and His second coming. He says, I'm going to the Father, but I'm going to prepare a place for you, and then I'm going to come and receive you. We'll be together forever. Now, John tells us something about what will happen when he appears. We shall be like him. Let's think about that. Like him. He made himself like us. And we shall be like him. Like Him means, in this instance now, resurrected and glorified, full, full, full image bearers of the living God. We shall be restored to uninhibited, loving fellowship with the Almighty God in such a way that we will become like Christ, representations of that God in the creation. As God intended from the very beginning when He said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And in the resurrection, that will be restored to us. And we, like John says here, we can't really actually imagine what exactly that is. But we know we will be like Him because... Oh, this is so important. Because we will see Him just as He is. Like Paul says in Corinthians, now we see through a kind of a bad mirror. A glass dark. It, it's like we're looking at Christ through a dirty mirror. So we can see Him. But then, we'll get rid of the mirror. We'll just see Him directly. And when we see Him, we'll be like Him because we'll see Him as He is. We'll be resurrected. We'll be glorified. We'll be full bearers of the image of God. We'll be free from any influence of sin. We, we can't even really imagine we can say these things, but we can't actually think of what they mean. We can only sort of think of what they mean. We don't really know, but then we will know. We'll be like Him because we'll see Him as He is. Here's something. Full, unobstructed, intimate fellowship changes you. We are resurrected in seeing Him. We are transformed in seeing Him. The seeing of Him, really, for real, in person, directly changes you. Transforms you. Now, this sort of begs a question. Is your hope in Him? As we come into this season of the sort of joyful anticipation of Christmas, 
this joyful anticipation of the celebration of the first advent of Christ, we also come into, we're also reminded that we live for real in the period of joyful anticipation of his coming again. Nothing could happen to you that would be better than Jesus showing up right now. I'm telling you again, (laughs) there is nothing that could possibly happen to you that even gets on the same scale with what if Jesus showed up right now. You know, we have so many hopes. (laughs) We have a lot of hopes. I have a lot of hopes. This morning I was hoping it would not pour down rain while I was trying to preach. So far. We have a lot of hopes. We put our hope in a good education, a good job, a good spouse, good kids. We put our hopes in politics. Had such a grand reminder of that in in my country lately. If only the right guy gets in office, everything will be fine. And half of us think this guy's the right guy, and the other half think that guy's right. More, somebody's going to be disappointed. Lots of hopes. We put our hope in human liberty and our own personal autonomy, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. You know, the Scripture says there's one hope that will not be disappointed. Only one. All those other hopes will be disappointed. Will be. Will be. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) But will be disappointed. Sooner or later, one way or another, to one degree or another, whatever your hope is invested in that isn't Jesus is going to be disappointed. Your hope in Him. Now, I'm not trying to tell you that it's wrong or bad or evil to to have these little hopes. It's not. It's good. Uh, Hoping your children will do well is good. And actually helps them to do well. But there's an object of your principal hope. This joyful anticipation And that is Christ. There's a secret here in this text about personal purification. You know, as Christians, we're engaged in this process we call sanctification. Um, I think that's a bit of a misnomer, but of, of growing in our own 
personal expression of the righteousness of God. In our reflection of God's righteousness into this life. And there's an expectation in the Christian life of growing in that. Here's the secret. Right here, right here in verse 3 of 1 John chapter 3, everyone who thus hopes in Him. The secret, the secret <laughs> is hoping in Him. The secret is the joyful anticipation of His appearance. The secret is developing the mindset that the best thing that could possibly happen to me is that Jesus would show up in person. The best thing that could possibly happen to me is that Jesus could show up in person. What this does is purify me now. It's like getting paid forward in the goodness of God. Because if I develop this mindset that the best thing that could happen to me is to meet Jesus face to face, I'm developing the mindset that Jesus is the best person. Jesus is the best person. You know, this year I've missed my annual trip home. Where I enjoy meeting face to face my family, my brothers, my sisters, my mom, various aunts, uncles, cousins, you name it. There's something about, there's something about that joyful fellowship that I miss. I, I want it. It's good. But the best would be to meet Him. The best would be to me. And again, we're not talking about, you know, oh, it's a little bit better to meet Jesus than to have some time with mom. No. We're talking about meeting mom and meeting Jesus are not in the same category. They're so, meeting him would be so much better. And of course, I'm not going to meet him without meeting her at the same time. Praise God. Hallelujah. But <clears throat> this is the hope that won't disappoint. And it's this hope that purifies me because I begin to see the goodness of Christ as I develop into this hope. And I begin to see him, even though it's not as directly as I will then, but I can see Him now, and seeing Him now leads me to imitate Him now. To be transformed into the child of God, I will be fully then. And so I can import my future into the present. But the key is not, is not, Try 
to be good. That is not the key. Try to exhibit. Try to be loving. You do not become loving by trying to be loving. You become loving by remembering how well loved you are by God. Stop. Look. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. What? And we have this future in which we can't even imagine what it means to be a child of God that day. When we see Him and we become like Him, partly because when you see Him face to face, you won't be able to help imitating Him. You'll, you'll be like, oh, well, that is exactly what I want to be. And your desires will be immediately transformed. Sin will no longer have even the slightest appeal to you. You will forget it entirely. And having that hope <laughs> brings that transformation down into the present. The key transformation, the key to transformation is correct hoping. Correctly aimed hope. There, maybe my favorite hymn is The Solid Rock. It's the hymn that says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly, completely, wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. The key to becoming who I am being made by God is to correctly hope in Christ. To see Him as He is. To gaze even or what, in the Word of God. To gaze into that bad mirror and see it as best I can even now. So that I develop a more joyful anticipation that he could walk through that door right now. Nothing possibly could be better. The key to transformation is correct hope. It's to look for transformation from Christ. Not from me, from Him. To look from transformation to him for transformation to see him as he is to know know that it will will be complete when he comes you might aspire to greatness in your own life you want to be a good person uh, you want to be a meaningful person. And on that day, 
you, your mind will be blown by the actual realization of that. You will become the Christ-like version of yourself that day. And when you know that, you start now. The title of this sermon is, What Are You Waiting For? What are you waiting for? There's two ways we're thinking of that question. I'm waiting for that day. <laughs> I'm waiting for that day. I can't wait for that day. I'm like a kid waiting for Christmas about that day. And I can have a bit of that day today. So what am I waiting for? When I change the direction of my attention from all my baby hopes, all my little struggles in this world, to I'm a child of God already, and that's coming, it changes who I am. So, why not? Why wait around? Why not get on it now? Why not do this hoping, importing the goodness of Christ into your life now? By seeing Him as He is, as much as you can. Father, we give You thanks for Your great grace toward us in Christ. Father, I don't know how to say thank you. It is astonishing that you would call me your son. Christ would call me his brother. Lord, I hope I never get over that. We, uh, we want Him back. We want Him back. We want this day to come. Amen.